0: Welcome to the Kenmore Church Podcast. We are all about filling hearts and fueling mission. We hope this content builds your heart and mind and equips you to reveal Jesus in this season of your life. I I did want to have a little bit of breathing space to get through and introduce this topic uh, of all things new. Uh, It's one that's very dear to me, and I've never had a chance uh, to really teach into some of these principles that I want to bring out one principle per week for the next five weeks. And these are principles that are hard fought and won um, over many, many years as the Lord has really worked uh, through ministry and I've distilled more and more, tried to deconstruct w- what's going on in people's lives. Why are these people growing, these ones not? Why can this one live in, in abundant life and this one struggle and so on? And so to process that through, and, and as you would know, um, the church here, our, our key mission is to uh, fill hearts that, and in a way that fuels mission and this is a church for the ordinary Australian this is a church for the rest of us if you know what I mean it's that middle ground which is uh, powerful and credible spirit, truth, the fullness of both of those so we, in, in a dignified Queensland way if I can say it in a Queensland way even though I'm from New South Wales we, we sort of do this who'd won by the way but just saying <laughs> wasn't I like good last week Jeff Hales, I didn't say a thing I've blown that now. So, uh, but we just want to build a church that... We need Church 2.0. The, the era has come where uh, the church in Australia needs, in so many levels, a reboot. We need to set it up again uh, to form a new wineskin that takes the very best of the past, the best principles, the best of theology, the grand themes of Scripture, but combine them credibly in a dignified way with the true power of the Holy Spirit. Because if uh, people just encounter us out in the world, they're going to be disappointed. But if they encounter God in a credible and powerful way, then lives can change. And the world in a post-Christian era has gone beyond um, just being satisfied with an apologetic. We need an apologetic, but we need to demonstrate as well. And so these principles that I want to bring out, for some, I'm going to start off and you'll think this is very simple, this is very basic, but... The danger with basic theology is that it has incredibly powerful implications for you and um, we can choose to follow that through or we can choose to curb that in some way. And so I want to start basic, but then I'm going to stretch you uh, in thought and in action a little bit, just a little bit, uh, hopefully just enough that we can take these steps together. And uh, it's just been a real dream of mine to bring these principles out. So our anchor passage is 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. So if anyone has found themselves, they placed their faith in God to redeem them from their sins. They've, They've said, God, you can do what I could never do for myself. I could never earn my way to heaven. I could never be good enough. The law was always going to defeat me. I can't change my old nature. I'm relying on you, what you've done on the cross to pay the price for that. I'm in for that. If that's you, then a new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. Grand statement, but I've got to ask you the same question I ask myself. Does that scripture overpromise and under-deliver? The new creation has come. Has it? Have you found that? You probably have in some spaces. You think, yes, I know what that means. I, I, something in my, in my heart says, yes, I agree with that, but other things in my life are so from that. I'm still living this old life. It's like it's available, but it's not automatic. It's been given to me, but I haven't received it. I can choose to walk that walk, but many times and too often I'm choosing not to. So I want to look at some of the promises that come out in Scripture that seem to be unappropriated consistently by our life. The promise of God's presence. Jesus could not have been any clearer. He said, I will be with you. I promise I will be with you. I'm Emmanuel. I've come in a messy world, your sin's not going to chase me away. I'm with you to the end. You can't talk me out of it. You can't talk me into it. We're in this thing together. And yet all of us at some point will feel unheard by him, that the heavens are like brass. We'll feel alone. We'll feel like he's deserted me. Where were you when I needed you most? That echoes through our brains. And yet he's promised he's going to be with us. What about the power? He said, greater things are you going to do The things you've seen me do, you're going to see greater things in your life. Man, I'd like to get up to just the level he was at. Anywhere near that would be great. He's saying we're supposed to be doing more than that. Have you sat to dwell on that for a moment? He raised the dead. He walked on water. He fed 5,000. And we're supposed to be doing more than that. He said rivers of living water are going to flow from us. Is that your experience? Some days, some days not. We just seem so average, don't we, if we're honest about it. What about this new nature? He said, Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. So why have I got the same addictions? Why do I complain just as much as everybody else? Why do I struggle to love people properly? Why do my relationships break down? He said, I'll give you peace. I don't give you what the world does, which is chaos. I give you peace inside. And yet we're still fearful of death. We're fearful of sickness and poverty like everyone else. So I ask you again, does the the scripture overpromise and under deliver. Now and again, we see a glimmer of these things, just a glimmer, enough for us to know it must be true. But there's a tension, like I talked about in our email to the church this week, the tension that we feel between what should be, what's been promised, and what is, and and, and I'm awkward with that. And to resolve that tension, I go about it in very different ways. Rather than let that tension of what should be draw me closer to that, I resolve that tension, I loosen that tension in a few ways and and history in the church has been uh, demonstrative of this. We might rewrite theology, we say Jesus and Paul didn't really mean that, literally, the stuff they said, it was just like, it was more of an idea than a reality or we redefine the scope of what they were saying and, and we say, well it means we get all that when we die. And so we reshape what theologians call our eschatology of what happens when we get there in those end days when we see him face to face. It must just mean that. And, And essentially, all I do now is believe, and then one day it all comes to fruition. Did he mean that? It's not what he said. If you just read the book, it was really clear. So we're then forced to maybe dismiss the whole idea of God. I can't believe that word because it's not real in my life, so I can't even believe he exists. What anchors do I have if I'm doubting what he said? What can I believe in? Or maybe you bring it back to yourself and say, there's something wrong with me. It's my fault. I'm not wired to win. It's for some people, but it's not for people like me. Or if you choose the Baptist way, and I'm I'm a Baptist history, so I'm good at this. Maybe it's just not God's will to do that. Maybe he changed his mind. I prayed once didn't work, so it mustn't be his will. It's a great catch all, isn't it? It just seems to explain everything away, everything becomes his fault. I've gotten really quiet in here. I don't know whether these I, <laughs> you probably checked off one of them. It's okay, the preacher has too. But what happens because we all know this stuff, these promises, we've seen them, even if it's secondhand, but we suffer from the secondhand syndrome in that it can happen to someone else, it can happen in another country, or it can happen to some famous person, but it hasn't happened to me, and somehow that keeps me safe, because I'm I'm one step separated from this in my own reality. And over the last few months, we've we've shared miracles that we've seen here and and over history, and, and you've probably heard of incredible things in other people's lives, but we don't translate that to say, that's permission for me. That just means, well, I'm impressed, well done but it doesn't change our life particularly. It's not for me and not for now. And so we might presume the scripture was for then because the apostles were special and and maybe it's only for special people. Or we might say Jesus was God, obviously. We can't emulate that. We can't emulate what he did. And that's an interesting argument right now. It's boiling. It's literally boiling globally right now, this whole idea, did Jesus do the miracles as Jesus, son of God, or did he do them as, as Jesus... Son of man, as if there's a binary in there. So I I would ask you, did Jesus do his miracles as God or did he do them as man? My answer is yes. Of course he's the son of God and he's the son of man. He was very clear about that and he just did the stuff. But he did what he did as an example. But if we go there and say, yeah, well, if you're showing me, you're you're giving me permission to do this as an example, um, why isn't my example the same? And we, then we begin to select scriptures. We say, well, just some things were an example and other things weren't. Like John 13, 15, he, he was washing the feet and he said, I've set you an example that you should do as I've done. Yeah, if that's an example, I can do that because I can do that in my own strength. 1 Peter 2:21, suffering. It says, to this you are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. We go, yeah, I can suffer in my own strength. So we say, yeah, that's an example. That's an example. But raising the dead, that's not so much of an example. But washing feet, suffering, we don't say those things became redundant after the apostles died and the, and the scriptures came, but, but the harder stuff we do, the greater things that, that he promised we would do. I hope this is just unsettling you. I'm, I'm, what I want to do is have you feel that tension and say we need to reassess this. We need to have a, we need to have a clean slate look at what Christian life really looks like. But the interesting thing I've found is the struggle is not so much believing who God is because we know he's good. We know he can do anything. We accept that faith is based in the clarity of who God is. We're all clear on that. He's the one that's sufficient. He's the one who's holy. He's the powerful one. But it might surprise you that activating the promises that he's got for us is just as much reliant on us understanding who we are in him and whose I am. Because depending on how I think about myself and, who I, and how I stand with him will determine what I believe and what I see. If I believe that he won't guide me, guess what? When his guiding voice comes, I won't hear it because I'm not tuned in. If I believe I'm useless and I keep telling myself that, I'm not going to hear his promises of greatness in a godly sense. So let's dig down there. I've started simple. Let's go a bit deeper. Let's understand that there's been post the cross, see what did Jesus die for? He died for your relationship with God. There was a fundamental shift, pre-cross, post-cross, of what he bought. He, he did that, not that you would be a better person. He didn't do that so you'd behave better and set a better example. He did it so that you had to have access to the Father. There was a fundamental, cosmic-sized shift in your relationship. Let's have a look at it in two key passages, Galatians 4 and then Romans 8. Galatians 4, 1-7, Paul's here talking to the, the Jews who... who couldn't get out of their head, this this law thing, this shame-based mindset and mentality where God sets the bar there and we've got to reach it. So he's talking about the law there. He says, what I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. Now, his, his worldview here is saying that an heir... We are supposed to be those heirs, but while we're underage heirs, we're treated like slaves. So... In their mindset, an heir was someone who um, inherited the family estate, not when the father or mother died, but when they had reached maturity. So you might be 25, 30 years old and have reached maturity. And so the father says, yeah, you can inherit your estate there. And now we're going to work together. You are responsible to work with me and I will guide you and I will help you. But you are stewarding the estate. So Paul here is saying we are like that with God. We, were, we are born in the, with the DNA of being his heirs on earth co-heirs with Christ and so before while we're immature before this can't happen we can't be regarded as heirs while we're immature so what's the mark of maturity he goes on when the set time had fully come God sent his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship because you are his sons that's a non-gender term that's talking about one who's able to inherit it's almost like a capital s it's not gender based so guys uh, or, sort ladies, you, you've got to be okay to be sons, and guys, you are got to be okay to be the bride of Christ. Okay, so it's, it's, it's okay. Just get the language of the New Testament here. So, because you were sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So, you are no longer a slave, but God's child, and since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. So, there's a shift, and the thing that got us out from being underage and being treated like a slave is the presence of his spirit. The presence of his spirit comes to those who place their faith in Christ. So the moment we say, Father, I can't do this, the deposit of the spirit comes into our life and it fundamentally shifts how God views you. You're no longer treated like a slave, now you're treated like a son because in in God's eyes, you are now able to inherit the estate and become a co-heir with Christ. And that's a good day. You think, but I'm just as bad and ugly as I was the day before. Yeah, but you are now an heir. Now you have the greatest home court advantage the world has ever seen. Now God's regarding you as an heir. Time to get to work. It's time to, you're not just a, a son who sits back in the family rocking chair. Now it's time to get to work with God. But you don't do it in your own strength because it's proven not to work. It's through the power of his spirit working through you that you can do it. You can't do anything for him without his strength. Remember the consistent scriptures. You can do nothing without me. And so this whole function of being a co-heir is completely reliant on the presence of God's spirit, not just being there, but activating himself through you. Let's have a look at uh, Romans 7 and 8. Because you think, man, I I agree with the idea of this. It's pretty hard to argue with scripture, but my experience has been something more like a Romans 7 than a Romans 8. You remember Romans 7, he says, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I should do, and, and oh, wretched man am I, oh, worm am I. You know, There's no hope for me. And we go, yeah, I know that guy. That's me. And we embed ourselves there and say, this is New Testament life. Isn't it fantastic? I'm saved, but I'm still wretched. That's not what he's saying. Romans 7 is completely in the context of Romans 8. He was just painting the picture. This is what it looks like for us pre-cross. Then Romans 8, he says, who can save me from this body of death? Let's have a look at it. Romans 8, 14 to 17. For those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again rather the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship there it is again and by him we cry abba father it's okay to cry out I actually had that experience physically where when the, when the spirit did come at that, at that level of impact when I got this I cried out first time in my life dad it was a spirit and I'm coming home he, the Spirit gives us this unction to get excited, to get a life, to get fired up, to be happy for a change, not just suck our thumb in a corner like, oh, wretched man am I. But that's what we default to because we haven't quite learned how to adopt what's been made available. For those who are led by the Spirit, I've, I've done that one, the next one, the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs of Christ. Boom. <clears throat> So what? (laughs) The world's asking us, so what? You can say that all you like, you can believe that all you like, but you're as messed up as I am. So, so what? So the ramifications of that theology, and this is where I want to keep going, will start simple, but then it's going to start to feel the tension. The difference in mindsets between slaves and children. A slave is threatened by God's presence. How do you feel when you feel the imminence of God near you? Are you one to shrink away like Simon did when he first met Jesus or jump out of the boat when he met him at the end? A son is, has a thirst for God's presence, a desire. That's like, I need more of you, Lord. I need to be in your presence. A slave operates in human strength. The sons lean into the spirit and know how to operate from his strength. The slave tries to live for God, for achieving, for, for being impressive, but the son lives from God. Receiving from God, impactful, because it's God who's making the difference. When you live under the law, it presents us with willpower reliant choices. In other words, it's all up to my volitional capacity. I've got to be able to choose, and I just get it wrong all the time because I'm, I've got myself under the law. And Paul argues, as you, as you read the New Testament, that just the knowledge of the darn thing compels me to sin. It's like it gives the whole thing permission. Whereas love, when love of the Father is manifest in our life, it compels us, it motivates us. That which was impossible before becomes inevitable now because we want to do it. Slaves look to God for judgment. Sons look to God for empowering grace. A slave looks for instruction all the time, left or right. How high do you want me to jump? The sons exercise wisdom. Slaves feel abandoned, orphaned, deserted. The sons are at home with God as their dad all the time. Slaves have an expectation on what God should do. God, if you're who you say you are, this and this and this and this and this. Whereas sons have an an expectancy of what God might do without putting boundaries on it. Very different. Slaves are aware of lack, what we're missing. We're aware of poverty and all the things God hasn't done. Sons are aware of unlimited supply. So it's a completely different mindset. So you may already know that, but what difference does Jesus make really? This is the big question. So let me illustrate, because I want to land this really powerfully, one principle every week. At a recent retreat um, we did, and it could have been a prayer time, I, I just forget, but I remember the person, and um, there was a word of knowledge had come out that, uh, that someone had, was experiencing massive ear pain and, and almost complete deafness, and um, no one came forward for, for prayer for that, and, and we thought, oh, I wonder what's happened there. Uh, what had happened there was that the person was out of the room because they were curled up in bed in such incredible pain. Um, they missed the word of knowledge, they ended up coming back into the room uh, later that night. And so uh, someone said, oh, that person with the ears is here. I, I, now, I hadn't had the word of knowledge, but I had faith because the word of knowledge had been given that, well, the Lord's obviously calling this person to healing right now. And so they came over and, and they said, yeah, I'm that person, I'm that person. I just said, receive that healing right now. And they were healed. They're just gone. Now, you won't be surprised, as I can tell by the lack of gasping in the air, um, <laughs> You won't be staggered that God healed someone. That's what God can do. He can do that. But what if that person hadn't brought them to me? What if the word of knowledge hadn't gone out? What if we as a group of people were more concerned at the devil leading us into error than we had faith that God would lead us into truth right then? What if the person hadn't come back in the room? What if I hadn't prayed over them? What if we believed that only heretics heal people? Right? It's all, there's something we play in this. God had given permission, but that which was available was not automatic. It still had to be prayed through. So nothing staggering about that story. It's, it's reasonably commonplace. should be more, but, but it happens. The point here is that it's a partnership. And so Jesus said, I will go with you. I will be with you. It's a relational term. He didn't say, I'll do it for you. He said, I'll do it with you. You're a co-heir now. You don't just say, God, it's up to you, you're big, I'm weak, you do it. It's, no, he's, he's going to walk with you and with us. And that's where it gets messy, because we're messy, we're complicated. We miss it sometimes, and so we need to go on the journey. So Jesus said in Matthew 16, 19, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. So here we go into this, what is the principle today out of all this? He said, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom, and the kingdom essentially is... A key, who's, who's figuratively speaking, I'm going to give you a principle, I'm going to give you something that allows the king's domain, kingdom, that's what it means. So where you exercise that key, the kingdom will come. So the keys open a door, but you've got to turn that sucker, God does the work, but you've, you've been given the key. And so with, there are all these keys out there. And many of us uh, are unaware of them. And yet, to be honest, I'm still learning so much. I'm on, I'm on L plates of L plates with this sort of thing. I don't claim any glory here at all. But I know the journey is there for all of us. And so this is a, a co-heir statement. He said, I'm giving you keys. This is, a, this is a, a kingdom family business sort of statement. But if we don't understand those keys, the keys don't work. So example from Scripture. Uh, right through the book of Matthew and, and Mark, you see the example of Jesus feeding Um, the 5,000 feeding the uh, 4,000. The 5,000 were followed up by the walking on the water uh, of Jesus and then Simon, and then the feeding of the 4,000 and so on. So let me bring you into this story about what they should have been able to learn from that and what these these miracles give us illustration of and permission to do. So the context is Jesus has just fed the 5,000. Now keep in mind here, Jesus is actually at a real low point Emotionally, he's just heard John the Baptist has been beheaded. He said, "Let's go away. Let's go away. I just need some space." And then he just sees this crowd, and Simon says, "Send them away. We need, we need to chill out, you know." And he said, he just says, "You feed them." So then, he, then that's all done, and we know that story pretty well from Sunday school. But afterwards, he stays behind, and the disciples go out on the lake. So Mark six forty-eight, he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, so he left them with it for a while. Hey, Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass them. Have you ever seen that? He was about to pass them. So we know the next bit where Simon gets out of the boat, but Jesus was walking past. He was... And depending on their response was going to depend on what happened next. There was a miracle available, but if they hadn't called out, it would have been a very different scenario through scripture. So we've got to understand that if it's just because it's Jesus, son of God, not Jesus, son of man, then I'm impressed by what he does. And you go, God, you are amazing. But if he then calls out to Simon, come and do the same. Now I'm impacted. Now I'm involved. Now I'm not just a spectator. Now I'm involved in this thing. This is not just sitting back and telling people how good God is. It's demonstrating how good God is in my life. And this is the binary moment we come to this. It's one thing to understand and believe it. It's another thing to apply it in your own life. So Peter then walks on water and you remember the story. He walked on water. He he got a good start. He looked at the waves and the wind freaked out, started to sink. Uh, Jesus pulls him up and in Mark 6.51, then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Just get this. They were completely amazed. In other words, they shouldn't have been. But they were amazed because they didn't understand about the loaves. There was a, there was a lesson that happened on the hillside that they completely missed. And that lesson was supposed to equip them to not be amazed now, and so Simon could walk on water and probably the rest if they'd have asked for it. And they couldn't understand because their hearts were hardened. And if we're really honest about this, as a, as a leader in the church world, we've, we've allowed and we've, we've taught into the hardening of hearts in the church world for a long time. We haven't taught people how to understand and so our hearts have become hard. We've had centuries of this. And the lessons that the miracle provided, let me let, me let you in on what those lessons may be from just perceiving the scripture, that when Jesus brings provision like he did with the loaves, that we are supposed to partner with him and we bless and multiply that. So remember, Peter said, send them away. Jesus said, no, you feed them. There there it is, permission given right there. As soon as he said, you feed them, now we don't have to ask anymore. We don't have to wonder what God's will is anymore. He's just said, go and feed them so we know his will. That's, That's point number one. It's one thing to walk on water as long as Jesus has said, come and walk on water. Because sometimes we have faith that's more like assumption than it is faith because God hasn't told us anything. But if he tells us, And permission's granted to walk on water. So, our job then was, or their job then, was to to literally carry the loaves and the fishes, break them, multiply them. So, they they did that. Jesus said, You feed them. He provided, but they still fed them. And so, there was a lesson there for us. Uh, Permission is granted when He speaks, but we still partner in the miracle. And so, there's some seeking required for us to understand. These keys of the kingdom that He's given us, we need to read the scripture. And even read the miracles that you've seen in your life, because we've normally we've all seen God do something in some form. We look at that and say, that's now the, the low watermark of my faith. And when we read the scripture, we can begin to understand that these keys of the kingdom, it's almost like they're hidden for us along the journey. They're ours, but they're not ours yet because we don't know how to wield them. And it says in uh, Proverbs 25 too, it's a glory of God to conceal a matter. It's a glory of kings to, to search it out. And what that means is that God hasn't hidden them from us. He's, he's hidden the keys for us. Because as I seek him, because this is all relational. If this was religious, he'd say, here's the formula. Here's what you have to do. Just do that. And suddenly we're not requiring faith on this God that we know intimately. We're having faith in the formula that he's given us. And now I need you to seek me out. These keys are hidden for you so that as you, you seek them, you're seeking me and, and you get faith from knowing me. And, and the, the exercise that you have of digging for these keys is the exercise that builds the spiritual muscles so that you can handle the darn thing. Because if he just gives us the formula and we haven't got the faith because we, ha- we haven't developed it, then the whole thing doesn't work. And so this is a relational dynamic. You hang in there with me? So, the principle there is the follow me principle. It's so simple, and yet it's a a principle that we uh, struggle with every day. Follow me. See, when Jesus called the disciples, he called them to follow. He called them to follow, not ask which way they were supposed to go. So, that question that we ask all the time God, what do you want me to do? Where are you going? What am I doing? there's, a, there's an assumption in this follow me statement that we actually probably should know more often than not. It's recognising where he's going, what he's doing, and then our invitation, our part of the partnership is to invite more of that, to be a part of that. So Simon, when he sees Jesus on the water, your water, can I come? Yeah, you come. And so there was a, there was a partnership where I can see what you're doing, Jesus. I bless that. Can I get involved and see more of that? So it's a follow me, you're following what he's doing. You're not looking for the signposts, you're seeing the dust kicked up by Jesus' feet, you're going, that's where he's going. Let's follow that. So Jesus was clear, the Son of Man can do nothing by himself, he can only do what he sees the Father doing. I myself can do nothing, I judge only as I hear. So he set that, this example for us. So the art that we learn is to watch and listen. And so we can, we can flesh this out a bit more from the example that we've seen. Uh, peter said send them away jesus said you feed them so we can see permissions granted partnership undertaken the thing about this follow me principle though is that it it gets really uncomfortable if you want to follow god see when we ask god which way we're normally saying god which way and i'm assuming it's going to be good for me and it's going to be pretty comfortable because my western idol is comfort and if god wants to bless me it's going to be really comfortable I've just noticed that God's highest priority for our life is not comfort. Has anyone noticed that? It's just not that high on his agenda. His, his agenda is the kingdom. And I don't, I don't know about you, but the more I hear what the Lord is saying, the more I follow his guidance, I get really uncomfortable. You've seen it more often than not. I'll get here on Sunday and have to rewrite the message because i have actually listening to what he's saying today sort of thing. And it's like, Lord, honestly, <laughs> the stress levels, it's like, oh, how am I going to articulate this? So that, you know, And it's... it's or he says, you know that church you've been doing up at Warner? How would you like to see the church I'm going to build? Yeah, but you're going to have to move. You're going to have to sell another house. You're going to have to move again and go through all that stuff again. It's really uncomfortable. It's like, Lord, can't you just give me the comfortable way? But there's something in our heart can become unsettling. And this is why it requires faith. Because we will all probably lean to the comfort side of things. But if we want to see the kingdom grow, we've got to feel that tension. Tensions like, oh, oh, I know it's going to be good, but it's awkward. And more often than not, the kingdom growing in our lives can feel that way. And so, um, and often it's because the the things, the formulas just don't make sense. You know, like I, I just gave you the example of the woman who was healed of deafness. It doesn't always happen that way. More often than not, there is no word of knowledge coming out. More often than not, it's just someone is, is just ill and, or has a, a difficult situation and they come forward for prayer. There's no word around that. It's just, let's pray out of faithfulness because I haven't got the faith that's come from a word of knowledge. And we had one here in recent weeks. Uh, I prayed there. Um, very chronic back pain. And we, we said, look, let's just invite God and just see what God's doing. And I've had this, this same sort of story played out scores of times now but the, but the process is the same follow me what do you do then in that in that moment right there and where God hasn't spoken we're just going to be faithful and we'll just pray what you do is follow what he's doing and don't focus on what he's not doing and so as we prayed uh, I said Lord just come and bless Lord just come and do what you're doing you know this you know this situation when you bless? how are you going there you're feeling anything It's has God... no I'm not feeling anything well, that's all right let's try it again and so I prayed again the Lord, we, we know you're present. You promise to be with us, so we bless your presence. Father, will you just touch this back? And they said, oh, I'm feeling very warm in my lower back. Really, where was your, where was your pain before? In my upper back. Oh, well, let's just bless what God's doing, because he knows what he's up to. And, and so follow me. Follow me. Not tell God, hey, you missed. It's like, not tell God, hey, you blew it with my spouse. Hey, you blew it with that job. Hey, didn't, oh, I missed that job interview or something. Not reminding him of what we think he hasn't done that's what our prayer life looks like it's saying no no here's what he's doing and as follow me co-heirs we say lord more of that father i bless what you're doing we don't understand we don't need to but lord whatever it is you're doing as a co-heir with you i'm following you just do what you need to do and bless this person's back bless them father in jesus name and the and the heat just went up to the hole back then are you feeling any better no i'm just feeling hot it's okay Heat's good, cold's good. It's all good. We're, we're praying to Jesus. Let's just see what he does. Anyway, after about 20 minutes, it was a complete healing, a complete reconstruction of the back, and uh, and that's you know what's and it is. It's fantastic. But you know what's even stranger about that? Not that God did something. What's strange about that is just how normal it feels when it happens. Because I'm not feeling tingles. I'm not feeling holy. I'm not feeling anything. I've got no idea what I'm doing most of the time. I'm just praying, God, you do what you do. And, and, and it surprises you because, oh, I'm the same guy that an hour ago was full of fear and anxiety, that sinned yesterday and, and didn't honour my wife well enough or something, you know, the same guy, and I just still feel like them now. And you've got to understand that walking with God can feel, it just feels more normal. And the second trap we find is that now that I'm following him, it's like, oh, it's just, I'm just normal me, it's okay. And then we lose the, the honour and the value that comes with seeing God do such amazing things. And, and sort of let not having that grow in our life. So the point in all this is not to look for his signposts, his big arrows. They come now and again, but don't rely on that. It's to look for his footsteps. And most of these keys, like this following me pr- principle, are relationally activated. They're not formulas. You can't write it in a book so that everyone just gets it every time. It's just being normal and just following God, because he's with you right now, and that's why it feels normal. The more of God you experience in your life, it's actually the more normal you feel. You don't start glowing like Moses and and all the stuff. It's just you, because God loves you as you are. He likes you. He knows what you like. He dwells in you, and he likes it there. And he just wants more of that. Listen more. Follow more. And you've already been doing it. I'd be very surprised if those who who claim faith in the room haven't had God speak to them in some way. It's not always an audible voice. Sometimes it's an impression. It's a scripture that speaks to you. Uh, It's a guidance. You see a circumstance or a repeated thing, and you go, this is obviously the Lord speaking to me. It's just the kingdom just means more. It's just be normal. Just be more normal with God, but follow him. And when the impressions come, when when he points out somebody in, in a crowd, and you say, Lord how do you want me to bless that person follow that guidance go and do that don't say oh I wonder if that was God or not you know it's like we actually live in a green light zone can I we, we 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 sit like we're at a red light all the time and I'll go if God guides me but so much of the guidance is already there the light's already green like praying God you want me to go on mission duh the light's green you want me to be a part of this great church? He's not going to say, no, no, you know, we don't want you in this church to, to change the whole community and, and bring people to life. We don't want you to do that. So of course, if you feel at home, if, if you, you, you just sense these are good people and the leader's got it half right, you know, it's like, play your part here. Come and join what God is doing. He's doing incredible things with normal people like you and I. It's the green light zone. And we don't have to ask for guidance all the time when he's already given us so much guidance on what to do. We don't have to ask guidance. Father, should I bless someone? Should I pray for someone? Should I love on someone? Just, just go. Just go. The world's dying of thirst for, and we've got all the living water that they need within us. We just go. It might be a small whisper. might be a nudge. might be a look. Follow it. And the more we follow, the stronger it becomes. And there's, there's, there's common sense we can put around that. We don't say... Hey, God's just spoken to me about you, and blah, blah, you, know. you know, it's like, look, I'm a Christian, and, and sometimes when we pray for people, God does some great things. Could I pray for you? You know, just keep it humble, and just see what God does. And the more you practice that, you know, God, Jesus said, "Go and heal the sick," and it must have been 400 times I prayed for someone before I saw anyone healed. The next principle we're talking into is, is starting small, like a seed, and watching the kingdom grow. There's kingdom principles about this, but it starts with following and obeying what God's saying. Amen? I think you've understood. I sense that. Let's pray together as the band comes up. and uh, Let's just pray into now what God might be saying to you. Father, we just come before you, Lord, normal people, normal people. We, We don't come based on anything that we are or anything that we have other than we are your sons and daughters, qualified by you. We just want to be the ones who say Yes. And perhaps God's asking you to jump out of a boat right now, like Simon did. And you've been stopping, waiting for him to tell you. He's just saying, jump. Get out of the boat. Maybe he's been prompting you to make an extravagant sacrifice of time or energy or heart or money. Just do that. He might have been guiding you to make a totally illogical left turn when you wanted to go right. Follow him. He might even be asking you to take a, what might be a humbling demotion in life to stop this ladder that you've been on so you've got more time for him and he might be taking you on a different direction altogether. Follow him. Lord, you said you'd be with us and we believe that. Father, will you forgive us where we've said no, where we've put conditions on it, where we've said no when it didn't make sense or it was too uncomfortable? Father, Speak to us, nudge us as we seek to follow you. We are your sons and your daughters. God, we just rejoice in that moment for a bit this morning, just the understanding. It's all because of what you've done, but you're calling us sons and daughters. We don't have to earn it. We're just there. We just rejoice in the identity that you've given us this morning. And if you need prayer this morning, you just feel like, gee, I'd just love someone to pray with me into this. You need comfort. You need uh, just God's strength, his encouragement, some wisdom, please come out on, onto the, uh, the left of stage after the service and the team will be there to pray. So Lord, just bless us as we come into your presence. Amen.